And again, thank you for taking your Saturday um, to grow. And I, I would think, as most often, the response of people is, well, I need a lot of this a little bit. <laughs> it's not always about other people I'm thinking about. It's my own life uh, needed shoring up in some areas. And that's the right approach, just a humble learner uh, first through me and then helping others. So in the second session, uh, there's a case study. There's uh, Chuck and Karen. And then there is um, communication, handouts on communication, and on conflict resolution. So what we're going to do, and I didn't tell Caleb this. This is no fault of anyone who put this together. Uh, You can't resolve conflict if you can't communicate. So communication is going to come before conflict. But I want to start with the case study. Just get our mind around uh, a husband and wife that aren't doing too well. And uh, let's think through, we're primarily talking about marriage in the first part this morning and then go to different uh, entangling, enslaving kinds of sins in the afternoon. So let me just give you a couple of minutes to read this. It won't take real long. Just read the case study of Chuck and Karen. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, It'll be right after the notes on conflict or on communication. I don't know that there's a page number, but you'll see it. It, It's just a case. It says case study. It's session two. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Just a front and back. Did y'all find it? Just keep turning. There'll just be one. It'll all be single space case study. Sorry. How many need a few more minutes? A few of you? Okay. All right. Can we, uh, well, let me come back to the three tree diagram, which is the last page that you have there, uh, <clears throat> you're going, boy, this Chuck and Karen and Joe and Susan, and uh, is there any good marriage out there? Don't. Uh, th- these were the words of Jay Adams to me when I asked him about going in counseling full time, and he said, "Don't." <laughs> He said, don't do that. He says, you, you, you don't want to spend all your time at the bottom of cliff where everyone's coming off and you're catching them when it's too late uh, oftentimes. You need a proactive ministry, not just remedial ministry. And boy, that, I, I was so thankful for that. Um, you need to be teaching and training and working with people who are doing well and help them to keep growing. Don't just full-time deal with trouble or remedial, because uh, then you start thinking everyone out there has all kinds of problems going on. I mean, no one's perfect. I understand that. So that was very, very helpful. But uh, just this diagram uh, was uh, first suggested by David Paulson, Dr. David Paulson, who used the, the two trees metaphor from Psalm 1, from Jeremiah 17, 
the shrub in the desert is on the right-hand side. Uh, under the heat, it shrivels up. And then there's the more fruitful tree uh, that's locked into the, the stream and produces fruit. Now, the, the, um, I like the tree um, diagrams, but you have to be really careful because Jeremiah 17, it's not a believer in the Lord that's just not doing well. The shrub in the desert is the wicked. In, technically, in Jeremiah 17, it's the wicked. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the water and will produce fruit even in the heat. But what, what Dr. Paulson was trying to do was to say, I get all this information. I've asked lots of questions. I may have uh, several pages of, of data from my first session. How do I organize it so it makes any sense? Because they're talking about over here, their husband, then back over here about their husband. And then there's throwing all kinds of things. And I was, you know, abuse comes in and then this and they, how do you organize it? He suggested, and then Tim Lane and Paul Tripp uh, wrote the book, How People Change, where they tried to illustrate this even more of organizing material that you gather about someone, like a Chuck and Karen. Uh, I would take two pages like this. I mean, I would just make two copies of the, the diagram, and one would have Karen's name on it, one would have Chuck's name on it, right? Two different hearts and how they're displaying their life. And then as taking the information, you start putting it in the categories. So uh, one is what's their situation? What's the heat? Number one there, what's the situation going on with Chuck and Karen? Well, their marriage is over. Yeah, that's what they say. Marriage is done. Uh, there's lots of things going on. If we were to write in there from Karen's perspective, her husband's critical. He's demanding. And his constant failures. Um, his situation, he would just say, well, the, the church situation puts some heat on him. Uh, he and he's kind of blaming Karen for it all, but uh, the church situation, his job dissatisfaction, his marriage dissatisfaction. So you've got that the pressures that put the squeeze on the heart. So then I would you, you go down to what bad fruit are we seeing with Karen and with Chuck? What bad fruit? And you just pick off that case study, things that you're seeing with Karen. Uh, for example, uh, no love, unkind, harsh, uh, even an um, emotional relationship going on with a guy. Um, emotional, adultery kind of relationship, although it hasn't gone physical yet. It's on that slide down. Uh, what about... Um, Chuck, well, no love. He's not loving her actively, sacrificially. There is this voyeurism going on in his past. Uh, pornography, masturbation. He's got heart adultery going on from Matthew 5, right? If you're lusting after a woman, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. 
So there's, they both have, their affections have went elsewhere rather than towards each other. And you can see God's glory isn't, isn't there. You, you see that real fast, what they both want. It's not to please Christ and glorify him. But just where bad fruit uh, is going, then you go to bad root. What might uh, Karen be wanting and thinking? Well, she wants this perfect relationship that this guy that she's emotionally getting involved with, oh, so nice, like a Disney movie. Uh, He's good, no conflict, peaceful, romantic. Uh, She wants acceptance and approval, very common idolatrous lusts. Uh, They're very common to man, wanting to be approved by someone rather than criticized all of the time. She wants this perfect relationship, no, no problems. Uh, well, they and we know what that's like, right? Um, you get married, and you have to work at that. But she's th- dreaming, fantasizing, uh, pleasure and comfort, another uh, desires that have turned idolatrous. Um, and then with uh, Chuck, You'd start seeing uh, it, it, he, very much about his own significance, his own impact. He wants to be up front, ministry, get back and be someone significant. Uh, he wants acceptance, too, and approval. Uh, he's got a control thing going on, uh, which often is there when you want to look, when you want uh, a space in the Trinity. For sovereignty, you want it yourself. You want to control people and circumstances. You're looking for a vacancy in the Trinity or something. It's no. God is in control. You're not. But he wants to control her, pushing her to be what he wants her to be rather than who God wants her to be. So constantly trying to make her like someone he's viewing, maybe in the pornography, And his whole concept of marriage is off. Um, And how he thinks about a wife. Uh, The wife is to him in marriage. She's going to be looking like a model and is there for his own satisfaction. Well, he he doesn't even have the purposes of marriage down yet. So you just see the things from the root what he wants and what he believes, what she wants and believes, comes right out in the fruit. Fruit makes sense when you look at the root. We do what we do because we want and think what we want and think. If I met someone who was starving herself to death, but there's plenty of food around, I think, why would someone do that? But when you look at the heart and what they want and think, I want to be thin. I want to be so thin, I want to feel thin. It's all about worshiping my own appearance. Not worshiping the Lord, but worshiping my own appearance. And then I want perfection, and then I want control, and I can control my body. Then refusing to eat what the secular would call anorexic, makes sense. 
right? If that's what I want and I lust for and I worship, bow down and worship my appearance, then that would make sense. So you see, we see fruit. We don't always see the root. And that's when counseling and discipleship, you're just asking people, what are you wanting and what are you thinking? Because we, we do what we want and what we think habitually. What you want the most and think the most comes out. So that's what we're doing with all that information. Is just what is Chuck wanting and thinking? What is Karen wanting and thinking? What do you want and think? And it does come out in our behavior and our choices. So that kind of moves then from bad root, uh, if it's professing Christian, repentance and faith. Uh, there is turning from sin. Repentance is typically turning from the sin, according to Scripture. And faith is turning towards Christ. They go right together. Repentance, turning from, doing a 180, and then faith towards Christ and pursuing him. So that's what needs to happen with each of them. And so we're turning to Christ, and that's the Redeemer. That's the, quote, third cross, or the third tree. Uh, not the third cross, but the, the third tree is what Dr. Paulson said. We need the gospel. That's Christ and the cross work of Christ, his life, death, resurrection. And so we may need to turn to Christ and start working through how does the truths of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his soon return, apply to Karen and to Chuck? What do they need to correct in light of the truths of the gospel? And aren't we thankful there's grace and there's mercy that when someone says, what I'm doing is sinful, there is an answer for that. Praise God, there is the cross work of Christ, the resurrection. We don't have to live the way we used to live. Our sins are paid for. We can find forgiveness. And now we can pursue what's righteous, what's a right thing to do for the glory of God. And so that's where we'd be taking them and those key elements there of the change process. Now we're moving on to good fruit, or the good root, out into good fruit. And some of the things that, especially at the end of that case study, where it said they uh, both give clear testimonies of salvation uh, and the marriage difficulties notwithstanding appear to have fruit in their lives that go with it. Uh, I, I didn't specify what the fruit was. But if it was anything that's good fruit, you would put that over there on the left-hand column, that there's some good things that they're doing. Um, and maybe they have some good desires in some areas. Well, praise God, that, that would line up with that's a good root, that's good fruit. There's a whole lot of bad going on with Chuck and Karen. But there's hope and help. I, I think that's the beauty of biblical counseling is there's always God and his resources. There's always hope. There's nothing too hard for him. So even when some people will share things with me, and my jaw just drops open. Like, what is going on? God's bigger. I don't know all the answers yet. 
It's going to take me a while to find out what's all going on. I don't know what all the answers are, but God is bigger, and there's nothing too hard for him. And they're still breathing, so there's hope this side of hell. Right? If they're not a Christian, there's, there's hope this side of hell. Uh, and that, that's the confidence that we all should have in our God. There are answers. I, I may not know them. I may have to call some people and say, what, what do you do here? What do you, uh, this is a new one for me. Uh, uh, help. Okay, fine. But there's help and there's hope. There's all the resources God has given us for life and godliness. And so we believe, and so thankful you're part of a church here that believes in the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. And praise God for that. Um, it's glorious, and lives can change because of the work of the Spirit of God. So the three-tree diagram, you don't have to use that tool, but it's helpful in organizing all of the pages of notes you've taken from when people are telling you this is what's going on in my life, and you're writing down lots of notes. How do you organize it? And you can put it in, well, that's the pressure, the heat source. This is some of the bad fruit. This is the bad root stuff. When I asked, what were you wanting and thinking, they told me, there's that problem. Where are they at with Christ and the gospel? That'd be in the middle there, number four. And then over to what is some good root things going on that I'm finding, and what is some good fruit that I might be seeing in their life? It just helps organize material to interpret it from a biblical lens. So we want to interpret it through a biblical lens. And I'm always trying to take the disorder language and find what does the Bible say about that. Um, If at all possible, I'm trying to move away from obsessive-compulsive disorder or borderline personality and, and trying to... what. I just say, what's going on in your life? And they start telling me what's going on in their life. I'm going, oh, the Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about that. talks about anger. talks about these manipulation, all that. Yeah, the Bible talks about those. If you can just kind of move away from the labels into the scripture, it, it talks about the issues, the heart issues that the people are doing. And you go, well, the Bible doesn't mention anorexia. I say, It does. It does. It's not fasting, by the way. (laughs) But it does. It's in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It has a whole list of the deeds of the flesh. It's a worship. It's a worship problem of the heart. And he gives a whole list. The Spirit of God through Paul. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And you go, yeah, but it doesn't say anorexia. It's the next phrase. And things like these. It's in there. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you think about how, how long... Galatians 5 would be if it mentioned every possible deed of the flesh. He's just going there and says, and there's a whole catch-all for all of these different behaviors that go on that get these labels. 
if it's not mentioned directly uh, in the Bible by name, it's in there. But if you can back off from the label and just say, tell me what's going on, and they describe their life, their behavior, you're going, the Bible talks about these various things. Uh, What you're wanting, what you should be wanting, what you're thinking, what you should be thinking. So that's the beauty of the scripture, and that was so helpful in uh, my first training in biblical counseling. I went, oh, oh, that's what the world calls it. It's just been relabeled. But this is what the Bible uh, addresses it, and look at the hope and help that we have through the gospel of Christ. Now, we're going to move to, if we were helping um, Chuck and Karen here, um, and the glory of God is front and center now. We've went through that with them. Uh, we went through the gospel, where they're at with Christ. We're, we'd be moving into Ephesians chapter 4, because we, you know, the glory is right. They're in Christ, part of the body of Christ. They're moving into chapter 4, and we've got to help them with communication. You can't, I, I remember this one of Dr. Adams' phrases. I, uh, he just said, you can't resolve conflicts if you can't communicate. If you don't communicate, you're not going to resolve issues. You've got to communicate. So have you found that vertically focused communication? I would just put those before the conflict resolution. It's on session two. Vertically focused communication. It's just, okay, back a few pages. Uh, you have some definitions there of communication. This is Dr. Wayne Mack, who's written quite a bit on it, by the way. He has some very helpful chapters. Uh, in his book, uh, Relationships, God's Way, he has about six chapters on communication. Overtalk, undertalk, all those kind of... He says it's a process of sharing information with another person in such a way that the sender's message is understood in the way he intended it to be understood. He goes on to say the people involved are mutually strengthened Enriched and encouraged, and thus experience harmony, unity, and emotional closeness. So you're sending something, and the person receiving it is understanding what you're sending. It's good listening, not just talking, but listening. And I just um, tried to elaborate a little bit. Good communication from God's perspective is sending a message that's true, holy, purposeful, clear, and timely. The recipient in love humility, and with care should listen to what's being said, trying to understand where the communicator is coming from without reacting, clarifying with questions if needed, and upon receiving the message, the recipient should then ponder before answering and continue to use these biblical principles. And you have many of the principles listed. I just extracted out several here from Ephesians 4. And you can see these in different writings and biblical counseling. The first principle, let's see, we go down here, uh, helpful principles in the area of communication uh, is we have to speak the truth. So that would be number one, or be honest in the family of God. Um, Verse 25, having put away falsehood, 
let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Uh, be honest in the family of God. We need to speak. Uh, speak truth. Put off all deceit and speak truth. You have to speak, by the way. You can't um, resolve anything without speaking. Uh, I came across a, I can just take a couple of minutes here. This was a illustration of a couple having difficulty, but they weren't speaking. And I'm going, I, I can identify with this a bit. So this is a, a humorous writer, and he says, um, there's this guy named Roger and his, a woman named Elaine. Uh, they go out to a movie. Uh, she accepts. They have a pretty good time. A few nights later, he asks her out at dinner. They enjoy themselves and they continue to see each other regularly, and soon they're not seeing anyone else but each other. Then one evening when they're driving home, a thought occurs to Elaine. She says, do you realize that we've been seeing each other for exactly six months? Silence fills the car. To Elaine, it seems like a very loud silence. She thinks to herself, wow, I wonder if that bothered him that I said that. Maybe he feels confined by our relationship. Maybe he's trying, uh, thinks that I'm trying to push him into some kind of obligation. Roger's thinking, hmm, six months. Elaine is thinking, that, hey, I'm not so sure I want this kind of relationship either. Are we heading toward marriage, toward children, toward a lifetime together? Am I ready for this level of commitment? Do I really even know this person? Roger's thinking, well, that, means, that was February when we started going out. <laughs> which was right after I had the car at the dealer, which means, let me check the odometer. Wow, I'm way overdue for an oil change. <laughs> Elaine is thinking, uh, he's upset. I can see it on his face. Maybe I'm reading this completely wrong. Maybe he wants more from our relationship, more commitment. Maybe he, he senses my reservations. That's it. He's afraid of being rejected. Rogers think, I'm going to have him look at the transmission again. <laughs> we all can identify with this. As, uh, he says, uh, I don't care what those morons say. It's still not shifting right, and they better not try to blame it on cold weather this time. It's 87 degrees out. This thing is shifting like a garbage truck, and I paid those incompetent thieving Cretans $600. Elaine is thinking, he's angry, and I don't blame him. I'd be angry, too. I feel so guilty putting him through this <laughs> that I can't help the way I feel. I'm just not sure. Roger's thinking, oh, they're probably going to say a 90-day warranty. That's what they're going to say. <laughs> Elaine is thinking, maybe I'm too idealistic waiting for a night to come riding up on his white horse when I'm sitting next to a perfectly good person who's in pain because of my self-centered schoolgirl fantasy. Roger's thinking, warranty, I'll give him a warranty. <laughs> Roger, Elaine says aloud. What, says Roger? I'm such a fool, Elaine says, sobbing. I mean, I know there's no knight and there's no horse. There's no horse, says Roger. You think I'm a fool, don't you, Elaine says. No, Roger says, glad to know the correct answer. It's just that I need some time, Elaine says. There's a 15-second pause while Roger tries to come up with a safe response. 
Yes, he finally says, and Elaine, deeply moved, touches his hand. Oh, Roger, do you really feel that way? What way? (laughs) That way about time, Elaine says. Oh, Roger says, yes. Elaine gazes deeply into his eyes, causing him to become very nervous about what she might say next, especially if it involves a horse. At last, she says, thank you, Roger. Thank you, he responds. He takes her home, and she lies on her bed, conflicted and weeping until dawn. Whereas when Roger gets back, he just opens up a bag of chips, turns on the TV, watches a tennis match between two people he's never even heard of before. But a tiny voice in his mind is telling him that something major was going on back there in that car. (laughs) But he figures it's just better not think about it. The next day, Elaine will call her closest friend. They will talk for six straight hours. In painstaking detail, they will analyze everything she said and everything he said, and they will continue to discuss the subject for weeks, never really reaching any definite conclusions, but never getting bored with it either. (laughs) Meanwhile, Roger, playing racquetball one day with a friend of his and Elaine's, will pause just before serving and ask, Hey, Norm, did Elaine ever own a horse? (laughs) So true. You have to speak. And this is Ephesians 5. Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth. You have to speak. People can't read your mind. That's another incommunicable attribute is God's omniscience. You don't know what someone else is thinking or wanting unless you ask them. Now, I know there are some people who think, no, I know. I've got our kids all figured out. They don't even have to talk, and I know what they're wanting and thinking. No, you don't. It's a sin. It's called presumption. And it's saying, I know what only God knows. You can guess. You can say, could it be? Could it be, Chuck, that you're wanting? Could it be, Karen, that you're wanting? That's fine. You can ask the questions. But you dare not say, I know what you want. I know we don't have that communicable attribute. It's sinful to be presumptuous. And it will kill relationships. So we have to speak, and we have to speak the truth. So we have to be honest in the family of God. Speak the truth because we're members of one another, it says. And there's where the gospel ties in, right, from the chapter 3. We're part of the member one another. We're we're part of the body of Christ. We don't lie to each other. The spirit of truth indwells us. So we speak, we speak truth, we speak truth lovingly. Uh, Even up in verse 15, referring to the gospel, we speak the truth of the gospel in love. Love should be motivating all that we do towards one another. this This is not inspired, this chart. It's an educational material uh, on on communicating, uh, written by a prof from UCLA years ago. And he just studied students for like 21 years. And he said, it's interesting that words that people say, words and their meaning, uh, are only about 7% of the communication pie. The tone that people say words in, ooh, carry a lot of weight. The tone What's it, 38%? And then the nonverbal is 55%. When we communicate, we communicate with all three of those. That, that was the point here. 
when we communicate to people, it's not just the word and the meaning, it's tone and it's the nonverbal. But I, I would come home. I'll just give you an illustration. My wife comes from a very broken home. She was a victim of abuse. So we have radically different backgrounds. So the Lord brought us together, and I'm so thankful uh, he did. But early on in our marriage, I'd be coming home. Uh, I was pastoring. We had to- uh, two little toddlers at the time. And I'd walk in, and uh, she said, uh, honey, could you help me? Uh, either watch the stove or could you take the children? Could you help me? It's right about dinner time. And I would go, okay. And she said, never mind, I'll do it all myself. How did you get that? I said, okay, look it up, Webster's Dictionary. You know, page 253, upper right-hand corner, okay, means yes. How'd you get no out of that? I thought, that's her background. She comes from a very broken home. Uh, You know, I said, okay, and she can't, I don't know, she can't process that or something. I was putting like 100% of communication in my word, okay, Not all the, (laughs) you know, and okay. The tone and the nonverbal shouted, no, I don't want to. And it was coming from my heart, out of my heart. What I wanted uh, was coming out. Uh, I was thinking certain things and wanting certain things in my heart when I came home. And all of you, probably, it's not, you know, strange to hear, I just want peace. I don't want to serve. Uh, I want to be served. Uh, I've been working hard all day. What have you been doing? You don't say certain things, but you're, you're thinking them. Uh, I've been, as pastoral work, it's been really hard. I mean, you just had the kids. And, you know, certain things that you say, or, or you're thinking, it comes out. That's why I responded. I had the fruit because of the root. What I wanted and what I thought. And if you don't get to the heart of what I'm wanting and thinking and just say, you need to go home and help your wife. Okay. And a lot of people try that behavior modification. They try to come home. Okay. And I, I tried it. It's called fake fruit. I did. I, I honestly tried. I, I, okay, I took a course um, from Lou Priolo. He said, you need to be a better husband. Okay, I'm going to. I go home. Honey, I'm home. There's nothing you need me to do, is there? <laughs> that was my best attempt at still getting what I wanted and what I thought, but sounding like a servant. It was fake. And didn't go anywhere, because then if I if she said yeah there is something, <laughs> there'd be all that response, and I'd do it. And she goes, "You're not very happy about doing well, no, because my heart's not changed. I wasn't thinking about God's glory, wasn't thinking about loving her and the children, just thinking about me. It's like I checked out. 
So th- just that, again, it's not inspired. It just helps you think when I speak, when I speak the truth, it needs to be the right words, right heart attitude, right tone, and right nonverbal. Just good communication. Number two, and I'm just going to quickly highlight these. It's, uh, you can see this in Ephesians chapter 4 as well, right in verses 26 and 27. Or be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So, um, we want to keep current. If we get angry, if we're provoked to anger in any way, deal with it quickly. Keep current. Don't let days and weeks, and, and you'll, in counseling and discipling people, you'll hear people that, boy, they haven't talked to each other in three months. I mean, they, they can give each other the silent treatment. No, keep current. One theologian said the day of transgression is the day of reconciliation. The day of transgression should be the day of reconciliation. Keep in the same day. Now, don't take that so literal that you're going, oh, it's 8 o'clock, we have till sundown tomorrow to deal with it. Don't. It, it's meant deal with it quickly. I mean, if you live in Alaska, you have six months to deal with it. <laughs> so keep current is um, don't let things keep fostering because the devil seeks opportunity there. It, it gets worse. If you don't resolve something, it can build. Even in that funny story, Elaine, the longer even silence went, the more she's thinking of things that she not even, that was not what Roger was even at at all, but she was, that's what happens. And it just gets more and more bitter, uh, vengeful in our thinking. So keep current. Um, And James uh, as well talks about the anger there um, begins in the heart. It's not just um, uh, it's not emotional energies or destructive energies. It's what I want in my heart, and I'm not getting it. So anger begins in the heart and comes out. And that's why it needs to be changed from the heart out. Um, let me move on to the, um, the third point in your notes. And you can, again, I, there's nothing to really fill in there. We don't want to tear each other down. We want to build each other up because we're all in Christ if we're believers. So you have verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, or your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the gospel is just tied to all of these principles. We're doing what we're doing out of love for Christ or because we're in Christ. Our union in Christ then should affect how we live. We want to be building one another up, not tearing one another down. And a lot of words that we say don't have an edifying effect. And so we have to be so careful, so guarded. Unprofitable speech, speech that tears down, sarcasm. Uh, can tear people down, and you can laugh about it, but it hurts the other person. So you have to watch the use of sarcasm. But just words that we say need to build up. I'm going to go to the 
the next one. Number four, respond like Christ, not in the flesh. In the flesh responses is verse 31. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is the evil motive. I want you to hurt. I want you to pay. So bitterness, you know, we usually associate bitterness with being unforgiving, but really bitterness just means sharp, harsh words. The word picria, it's just uh, harsh words. In Colossians 3, husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered with them. Don't get harsh with your wife. Treat her as a vessel of honor, 1 Peter 3, 7. So bitterness is just harsh, pointed words. Uh, Bitterness. Then you have uh, wrath and anger, two different displays, kinds of anger. One more explosive type, one sort of settled indignation. Clamor is typically loud yelling and quarreling. Slander is usually part truth and part lie, to hurt someone, where we get the word blasphemy from. That's, that's things that are of the flesh that tear down. Uh, but instead, we're to respond by the Spirit's enablement in verse 32. Be kind to one another. God is kind. Uh, he gives and forgives. To be tender-hearted. Think about what the other is going through. Try to imagine what it's been like uh, in their shoes all day. Be tender-hearted, compassionate, and forgiving one another. Every day we sin um, against God. We may sin against other people. Be forgiving as God in Christ forgave you. So I want, um, you have there in your notes, um, just for sake of time, there is a process of helping two people called a conference table. I think it's, um, uh, yeah, um, it's a tool to try to help two people sit down and actually start communicating where they've been fighting and at odds with each other. And my recommendation is help them with the first thing. Take, take an area, and in front of you, practice something like this. Each talks, and the other does not interrupt. What's the issue? Listen, speak, listen, speak. All right, we're, we're getting data. We're not answering before we hear it listen to each other, and just kind of follow a process there. We're not going to be tearing each other down. We're not going to say, well, that was stupid. Nothing that tears down, only building up. We're going to follow those principles in Ephesians 4 as two professing Christians walking in the light and try to help them resolve an issue in front of you and then give them another issue, one that they're having trouble with, maybe not the most Difficult issue, just another one that they're struggling with. Now, you at home, you try to do that. Listen, talk, listen. Don't violate those different principles. See if you can work it through. If not, when we meet again, uh, I'll 
try to help you, assist in that process. But some have to learn how to communicate. If they don't do this and abide by these uh, biblical principles here, you're not going to resolve conflicts. You know, the most number, uh, number one issue for divorce is irreconcilable differences. Well, what is that? Well, they haven't communicated and worked things through, especially of professing Christians. So you have to teach them to communicate before actually working through a conflict. Here's, and, and if there's a violation, you can hold your hand up. Uh, you just said, what were you thinking? Not what were you thinking, but I can't believe what you were thinking. You know, it, was a, it was hitting me. It was like, what in the world were you thinking? Well, that was, you might as well just say I was stupid. That, that was hurtful. That was, that was unedifying. Let's just stay with the issue and trying to resolve it. So please forgive me. I didn't mean, uh, don't want to say that. I want to say things that build you up. Okay, now let's move on. You just have to help them in front of you first before just say, go home and try this. So try to help let them see how it works. Then you go on, uh, James, if you'll switch the, oh, to the uh, conflict, perspectives of conflict. I want to just try to help um, understand that when people have conflict, it's not one thing all the time. It's always a sin issue that brings conflict. No, not always. So in your notes there, session two, I discuss what a conflict is. And then what does God think of conflicts? And you can see, do you, are you with me? Are you, are you found, found it there? Okay. What does God think of conflict? What does he say about it? Well, to God... He, for God's children, he doesn't want his children to be in conflict with one another. There are some things that you have to work through, for sure, with believers, but he's called us to be peacemakers. He wants us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, right there in Ephesians chapter 4, right up there in verse 3. So he's wanting us to work through things. Um, he wants us to pursue peace. Romans 12, 18, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. Romans 12, 18, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. The two ladies in Philippians 4 weren't getting along. And he says, true companion, help them to agree. Same word used in Philippians 2, be of the same mind. They need to be in harmony. And that theme runs through the book of Philippians. So where do conflicts come from and what are their possible solutions? So I'm going to, um, I'll come to doctrine issues in just a minute, but let me just start here where the slide is on differences. So this is on page two at the top of those notes. Just differences can, uh, can almost provoke conflict with people. I mean, think of the differences. I, I mentioned some of them. Nationality or ethnic group. Ethnic differences. Upbringings. 
My wife comes from a very broken home. Parents divorced, grandparents divorced. No one was a believer except her, saved at age 11 at a vacation Bible school. Uh, Just a horrendous kind of background. Lots of yelling and fighting and conflict before the parents divorced. I I didn't come from that. Uh, So just differences in backgrounds, differences in education, male-female differences, just differences. And there's a biblical solution for differences. In Colossians chapter 3, we're told to be forbearing with one another. You have some illustrations there of differences, but the, the solution to differences is put up with one another. Right? Be forbearing. We're all strange to one degree or another. We all, you get married and you go, why do you do that? Why do you do that? You know, just differences. Put up with differences. Don't have a conflict over it. Uh, you don't want to leave relationships over it. It's just put up. Bear up with. And imagine this in the church. Bear up with one another's differences. An exception to that would be if someone's differences are eclipsing discipleship or evangelism. Then I'm going to talk to you about it. Maybe changing something in your differences. Does that make sense? If you can change it. Someone goes, well, that's just the way I am. You know, it's the way I grew up. And I mean, everyone has differences. But if unbelievers don't want to be around you because of you, you need to change something. Or... You, no one wants to be discipled by you because believers have a hard time around you. You need to change something. So personality needs to change, and God can help you do that. So only when it's affecting, neg- negatively affecting evangelism or discipleship. Then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll talk to you out of love. You, you need to change. And praise God. That's why I, I don't put much stock in personality testing they don't even measure biblical virtue in those personality tests i scored really low on uh, sympathy on one of those tests i didn't care (laughs) no but i scored low because one of the, the one of the test questions was would you do everything possible if you were driving a car with your family, everything possible to avoid uh, uh, hitting an animal on the road? And I said, no. Well, wrong answer. To be sympathetic and compassionate is you would do everything possible to avoid hitting an animal on the road. If it was an elephant, yes, but not a a squirrel. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to endanger the the, uh, people in the car or wreck the car for a squirrel. And wrong answer. Well, that's not how you measure sympathy or compassion. So watch out for that. But differences have a solution in the Bible. Uh, Next one, doctrine. Back to number one there in your notes. I should switch those slides around. Sorry about that. Doctrine issues. Well, uh, there's different doctrines. And I'm kind of thankful that Dr. Moeller, you can hardly see that. Um, I don't think you have this in your notes. Uh, 
it's called a theological triage, and he, he divided up the doctrines into three tiers. And it's been going on for, you know, I want to say uh, centuries, this kind of dividing up doctrines. The first tier at the top is gospel. If you don't believe Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. So the, the top tier, all believers need to believe to be a believer. So that, that's doctrine we need to unite on uh, in Christ, according to Scripture. The second tier, and I don't know, I, some of these you may not agree with. Uh, some of them I go, no, I think that's in a different tier. Uh, but the second tier is we believe these different teachings on doctrine, but we take different positions we probably will end up in different churches. So uh, this is a church complementarian, but there is even denominations, uh, some of the denominations in evangelicalism, that will hold to egalitarian, uh, where husband is not the head. Both can be heads. And you're going, no, that's not, uh, what the well, they, well, this is what the Bible say. But they all will believe on the first tier, so they may be brothers and sisters in Christ. But eh, we're not going to be probably in the same church. So different church or how you view the Lord's supper table uh, or baptism. And then the third down at the bottom here are views, uh, and he puts in there, Dr. Moeller does, views, he says, you know, depending on what you believe on this, you might be able to be, you have differences in doctrine, you're still in Christ, but you may still stay in one church, the same church. I don't know if I, uh, some of those, I think probably go, should be bump up into the second tier, but he's just saying there are certain things in the church that we differ from, uh, but we can abide in the same church. There are other things now, we're probably in separate churches, but we're still believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Think of all the issues um, that you work through. Um, some are gospel-oriented. Boy, if they don't believe the gospel of Christ, uh, they're not a believer. And other passages talk about um, trying to work through issues. For God's glory, I put in there uh, Philippians 2 with humility, work through things. Romans 14 with a weaker, stronger brother trying to stay in the same church. And I think we all know about different things that have come up. Um, then we have desires. Uh, I want something and I want it so bad. James chapter 4 says, I'll sin to get it. Uh, now it's turned to a lust. And uh, James 4 is a really good passage to let me know when good desires have turned sinful, inordinate, lustful, idolatrous. I will sin to get it, I'll sin to keep it, and I'll sin if I don't get it. Now it's a desire uh, that's landed and it's become a lust, inordinate, desire. And James helps us to understand that. 
Uh, let me just move on here. Um, this is one, uh, James 4. This is a picture of what's going on uh, with someone who wants something so much they're going to sin to get it. He says, where do wars and, and conflicts come from? It comes from you wanting something. This is James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. You want it, you'll lust, you'll murder to get it. Well, in our pride, it's all about what I want, I need, I expect, what I think are my rights, and the other person says, you, what about me? And, and you line up like that, and you have a desire, could be good desires, but they have landed, tent pegs go down. I'll sin to get it, sin to keep it, sin if I don't get it. And the other person says, I want what I want so bad, I'll sin to get it, sin if I don't get it, or sin to keep it. You've got war. You've got conflict. And uh, I'm kind of a visual person, but that, that's James 4, 1 through 4 right there. It's so picture, it's all military language. It's battles, encampments, tents going down. That's exactly what it's saying. That's how did we get in this fight? How did we get into this spat? Parents with children, children with children, husband and wife. What should happen? God's opposed to the proud, is in God's grace because in humility, if you have a desire, share it with the other. Ask them what they're thinking, what you're thinking, what would you like, what would you like. You share, you communicate, but no tent pegs. Nothing comes down. So whether it's Chuck and Karen, whether it was Joe and Susan, if Joe was a believer, is you share what you're thinking and listen. You commun- communicate in love with the other person's interests in mind, and then you give your desires to the Lord. Because even if you say, okay, we'll do that, Lord willing, we'll do that. Remember that? Lord willing. In the same context in chapter 5, Lord willing. You can make plans. Plans are fine, but you keep them off the ground. Lord willing, we'll do this and the other. Uh, I called Zandra one night when I was working at Grace Community, and I said, you know, there's no one to counsel uh, for me tonight on a Monday night, so I'll be coming home uh, earlier than expected, so dinner, uh, dinner time and for the evening. And she said, okay, that's great. I said, great. We should have communicated more because on the way home, I'm thinking, Boy, my wife's a really good cook. I can't wait to get home. It's probably going to be a really good meal. And uh, I'm sure the kids will be all dressed in their pajamas waiting to go to bed <laughs> and meet me in the driveway and say, Dad, well, there's no problems here. We'd love to go to bed. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, desiring as I'm going home, what a, a nice low-key evening, good meal with my wife, and just a, a restful time, the, the two of us. That wasn't what she was thinking and wanting. She was going, huh, he's coming home early. We have company coming. This, this, indeed, this happened. Uh, we have company coming on the weekend, 
and in our uh, townhouse we were renting, uh, we're going to have to stay down in the living room on a sofa bed so that the others, uh, my parents, would be upstairs in the bedroom. So um, we've got to move some things around here tonight, get, start getting everything ready for them to come. So she's, I'm just going to get some soup and uh, cook some soup and some cheese and crackers so I don't have to mess everything up and spend a lot of time cooking. That's what she was doing. And when we got home, I, I come in and the, open the door, look in the kitchen, and there's some soup and crackers. I'm, Who's that for? <laughs> a tone. There was a tone to that. <laughs> Who's that for? And I looked in front of me, and in the living room, stuff was already starting to move. The, the lamps were off the end tables, and like, what's going on here? Another tone to it. I was waiting to smell her cooking, and this is looking like chaos, and what's that? And she's like, what, what's wrong? I go, well, what's this? Uh, and we were just like locking up, uh, and, and I'm... I'm getting angry, my own selfishness, um, and she's responding to me and, and not the best of way, but I provoked it. And we just sat down, and I go, what? how did we get angry? This isn't what I wanted or expected. She goes, well, what were you thinking? And then I told her. She goes, oh. I go, well, what are you thinking? What are, what's going on here? And she told me. I go, oh. That's what we should have done. I should have stayed on the phone longer. <laughs> right? You all are know what I'm talking about. And ask, uh, what do you have planned tonight? You weren't expecting me home. What were you planning on? Oh, I was planning on trying to get ready. Company's coming, you know, your parents. And uh, I need help moving some things around. And, I'm, you know, that's what I was going to do. And, um, oh. And she could have said, well, what were you thinking? Well, I was thinking about nice meal together and put the pet the kids to bed earlier and just having some low key time tonight. And she could go, oh. And we're both now thinking, how can we serve each other? So, okay. Uh, she says, well, you want a, uh, something you might like that we all might like? Why don't you pick something up on the way home? Because it would save me time from having to cook. I can get the the kids uh took a while to get home but i can go ahead and get their baths and get them kind of prepared and if you bring home the dinner and then right after dinner if you can help yeah i can help move that around and get this situated and i think we can even get the kids to bed somewhat early and still have some look we're communicating in order to serve each other but then we have to give our desires to the Lord. Why? Because maybe my son trips over his skateboard or tries to do a flip and twist his ankle, and we're in the dock in the box the rest of the night working on his ankle. So that's why you give your desires to God and say, Lord willing, we'll do that. It may not work the way that you thought it would work. And that keeps you from... I want, I deserve, I lust for certain things. So that's just a, a very quickly here. Well, I've got to really move. Uh, another 
a thing behind conflict can be actual sin. Someone sins against you. That's a breach of God's law. And so for that, we need to acknowledge it. In the scripture, this is what it says to do. I didn't do that, or I just willfully broke that. And there's confession, repentance. That's the solution for offenses. The next one is conscience. Conscience issues. It's not technically um, that the Bible says this may be a sin. This, I think it's sinful. So we need, we need to study scripture together. You know how many conscience issues there are? Look at, look at all the conscience issues. I have slides of these. This is just one slide. All the things that people have, I think it's right, wrong. You like the Chick-fil-A? Uh, eating fast food that's unhealthy unless it's Chick-fil-A and you don't have to worry about Sabbatarians. But how many issues in the church people believe and go, man, it's wrong to do that. Ooh, be careful. Um, you want to study you educate your conscience with scripture. That's what you do. Conscience should not be your guide. Scripture is our guide. Here are more of them. Listening to any Christian hip-hop, um, the dating courtship issue. Uh, I mean, there are just all kinds of issues that be careful when you say it is absolutely right to do this and wrong to do another, be careful. Let's study scripture. What does the scripture say? We're not done yet. There's more. Uh, I know of a church that just split over going into debt. Just split. And, whoa, it should not be. Let's just study what the scripture says. Let's try to work towards harmony. And it just you just see people... Uh, gravitate and you can see some of the different issues where you go you know I think it's um, uh, honoring to the Lord to do this but it's not wrong you're getting into right and wrong and be careful of taking issues up to the level of a biblical command like homeschooling we did some homeschooling with our children but there's homeschooling with a capital H and there's homeschooling with a small h. Like, this is just what we've chosen to do. If you choose to have your children in a Christian school or even a public school, you'll, you'll have to still do the, what the Scripture says about parenting. But you, you make that choice, but rather than saying this is the only way. A way becomes the way becomes God's way, and you're in trouble. So you just have to kind of watch some of these conscience issues I'm going to move past this to the solution there is you study the scripture. What does the scripture say about particular issues? Let scripture educate your conscience. Then you have preference issues. The, the thing about preferences is don't have many. Be easy to get along with. People who have lots of preferences are hard to live with. They really are. You know, I, I like this, but I only like it like this. And this, the peas can't really touch the 
potatoes. And, uh, and you're going, what? It's hard to live with people who have lots of preferences about everything. And if you have preferences, keep them to yourself. There should be no church conflict over preference issues. But you know what a lot of church splits are over? Preference issues. Philippians 2 tells us what to do with our preferences. Prefer the other. Prefer the other. And it's interesting, when there's a conflict, what are we dealing with? Is it a sin issue? Is it a conscience issue? Is it a preference issue? Is it just a difference issue? I mean, you've got to parse them out to go, what are we dealing with that we have the right biblical solution? Then there's wisdom issues. There's a lot of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs, it's, it's not right or wrong. It's just, is it more wise or less wise? Is it more wise to buy that used car over that used car? It's not a right or wrong. We have the money to buy it. Which one? It, don't make things right or wrong when they're wisdom. We want to grow in wisdom. That's the solution in Proverbs is grow in wisdom. Learn. Ask other people. Learn from your mistakes. Multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Just ask, grow, but don't make things right and wrong that aren't really a sin, an offense. Then you have (laughs) communication challenges. People who aren't listening. You say, well, I told you. Yeah, I wasn't listening. Uh, my mind was on something else. Or just challenges that some have. They have to work hard. You have to learn what are they, what are they communicating here. Some communicate in one word. Some other people, it's a lot of words. Some people talk when they breathe out, when they breathe in. <laughs> I, I have a hard time with that. A pressured speech. Um, we have a son that's on the spectrum, and he can get into pressured speech. He's just going, and you're just like, oh, you know, okay, take a break. Just calm down, take a break. He's not angry. He's just he's pressured, and he doesn't always understand, this is, I need to stop. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, just challenges that people have, and maybe even some physiological complications. All that to say, and you have page um, five there in this section, a tool when someone says, well, we had this conflict. Well, how about pulling it apart and finding out, what are we dealing with? Is it a doctrine issue? Is it a difference issue? Is it a desire issue? Is it a clear sin? Is it a conscience issue, a preference issue, wisdom issue, or communication issue? Or is it three of those? It started with, well, I just preferred a, a, a nice meal cooked. Yeah, well, that was also in the desire category. It went to a lust. And then I had an offense and sinned in my speech. Okay, now what do I do with all those? I confess my sin. I need to pull back my desires, uh, communicate them, and not lock them in and become more like lusts. And then keep 
preference to myself and prefer the other, ask what they might like rather than what I might like. Do you follow? You see, uh, it, it's, it takes work. It really, it takes work. But the scripture helps us. This is how you pull apart things. This is how you communicate. All for what? The glory of God. All for the glory of God. All to help us honor Christ, to become like Christ, to walk as children of light. Uh, It takes time. There's failure. We confess. We learn. We grow. But people aren't taught this. They're not coming from homes often where these principles are taught. And they say, well, maybe we're the only ones at church that have fights all the time. Well, probably not. But we just have to teach and help people. And uh, the counseling or the private ministry of the word is coming alongside of someone saying, okay, let's take the issue. Let's pull it apart. I just did this with a couple this week. And uh, something that said, she said, you're angry at me. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not angry with you. Sure you are. Well, how did, why did you say he is? Because his words are, comes across uh, pretty intense and harsh. Were you angry with her? No. But I wanted to get something across, but I wasn't angry. Okay, well, don't judge his heart. That's presumption. But you need to learn how you're coming across. You're coming across in a way that seems angry. And for her, she's recoiling. And just talk with them. Help them. Oh, okay. Don't judge his heart. You can ask him, are you angry? That's fine. You can ask. Don't say you're angry. I know you are. And that's what then provoked him to get angry, is you keep saying I am, and I'm not, so then I am not. Now I, now I am angry. <laughs> He's like, whoa. So each needed to learn and figure out what kind of issue are we dealing with here. Um, again, it takes time. But once someone they start working um, these principles into their lives, uh, and this is the beauty of just coming alongside ministering to them, and more often than not, I'm able to say, you know, just a couple days ago, my wife and I went through a similar thing. <laughs> because we're all learning and growing. No one's arrived. Maybe you're better at it now. But we, we understand how things get to where they get in certain relationships. And we're just trying to help them as they uh, are growing uh, in the Lord. So you have uh, that as a tool I'm not going to go through the, the uh, rest of those notes on pride and humility, but communicating well and resolving conflicts is, requires humility. Humility be, leads to harmony. Uh, Proverbs 13.10, behind, behind contention uh, is arrogance. So the conflict in Philippians 4 between two ladies, guess what the Lord writes in chapter 2? Humble yourself. Look at Christ in his humility. Before working out all of the, the differences and issues at the end of Ephesians 4, look at Ephesians 4, verse 2. We're walking worthy in a, a manner and a, worthy, and a calling which we've been called with all humility and gentleness. So troubleshooting, the Christ-like attitude. 
comes right off the gospel and helps us to preserve that unity in the church and in the home and relationships. So communication and conflict resolution. Uh, There's help and hope uh, through Christ. Well, I'm going to have Caleb come up, and he's going to talk about lunch.